Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Carrie Stevens. This is episode number 300. You're listening to Jay. This is your 300th episode, and I'm number 300, but you, you're always number one, Jay. I love doing your show. Thanks for having me on. Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to The Hook Rocks. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Hope you're doing well. Hope you enjoyed your Halloween weekend. We had some great episodes over the weekend. On Friday, we did a live album review of Live After Death by Iron Maiden, the classic live album from 1985. And of course, this past Sunday, we welcomed in the boys from Into the Void, the Black Sabbath podcast, to talk the legacy of Black Sabbath. So if you haven't heard those Please go listen and enjoy them. Great October. Thank you very much for tuning in. We had a couple of milestones that we are very proud of here. We hit number 24 on Apple's Music Commentary Podcast. 
big, big honor for that. And then the Good Pods application, we hit number two on music interviews, number nine on music commentary, and number 20 in all of music. So thank you very much. It could not have happened without you listening and always tuning in to what I got to babble about and who I'm interviewing and what I'm talking about. So I do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great music community of music-related podcasts. There's something for everyone on the platform, like Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Baco from Cobas and Fire, Tom and Zeus from Shout Out Loudcast, and, of course, Mistress Carrie all the way out in Boston, the rock and roll DJ legend. Also, check us out on all streaming platforms. Follow us wherever you do podcasts. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest and greatest Hook Rocks podcast right to your phone. Helps your commute, makes your daily life better. I'm telling you, it's stress-free music talk. Also, follow us on Twitter, at The Hook Rocks, and look us up on Facebook, at The Hook Rocks. Also, follow Pantheon Pods on Twitter, at Pantheon Pods, also Facebook, Pantheon Podcast, and of course, PantheonPodcast.com. We'd like to welcome in, I know I just mentioned Mistress Carrie, the legendary DJ from Boston, but we're going to welcome in another Carrie who is making her third appearance, one of my favorite guests. She now belongs to the the three-episode club with Abby Kay, Chris Tapp from Cold Stairs, George Lynch, and like We'd like to welcome in author, model, entrepreneur, and now kicking ass on Monsters of Rock Radio, Miss Carrie Stevens. What's going on, Carrie? How are you? I don't know. I'm kind of jealous of this miss, mistress, Carrie. I feel like I need a name. Like I need to be Queen Carrie or something. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, not, I'm also um, from Massachusetts. You know, I grew up. So um, I'm just kidding. I'm not jealous. I'm honored to be in such good company of any uh, cool rockers, especially uh, female, because we are few and far between, but we're growing rapidly, and I'm very excited about that. Yes, it is the fastest-growing demographic in rock and roll. I don't know if that's true, yeah, but it sounds, it re- it sounds it really true. good. If, if you Now that I'm on the Monsters of Rock as a DJ, um, they send me the chart, you know, so I'm fully aware. And in the top 10 hard rock and metal charts, um, lately, there are always uh, three bands um, in the top ten um, with uh, either female uh, musicians or singers or both. So that would be, um, let's see, uh, help me here, Pretty Reckless and uh, Hail. And yeah. what's the other one? The, Evanescence? Uh, Evanescence, yes. And Butcher Babies. And, um, there's, and there's a new all-female band. A band emerging uh, called Plush. Yes, and um, yeah, and one one of the girls in that band is my good friend's daughter. She's only nineteen, and they are killing it. And they have a, an all female uh, tour about to happen. Um, anyway, I'm I'm way off the subject of Carrie Stevens at this point, but um, all very important because there's so many females rising up in the hard rock scene and it's very exciting. I can barely contain myself. You and I have had a discussion on the label of women in rock and, you know, female led bands. And, you know, we are in 2021. And I think that was 
okay for a while. When you talk about Janis Joplin and you talk about Grace Slick and you know Pat Benatar, Ann Wilson, and other female artists throughout the years. But now it's, I just like to call them rock stars or rock bands, right? Because I think they've earned that. And I know... Yes, and that's why I like to see, as cool it is to see an all-female band, it's almost cooler to me now to see um, someone, a band like the Butcher Babies, where um, there's three guys and two females in the band. You know, it doesn't, it just doesn't, it's, it's not um, defined um, by sex. And by sex, I don't mean, you know. Sure. <laughs> gender. Gender. Uh, yes, exactly. That's, that's the word for it. It's not defined by gender. You're so eloquent. <laughs> Unlike myself. No, I, I just think that's really cool, though. I mean, when you look at the landscape of rock and roll, for years it was a male-dominated industry or male-dominated genre. And and for the most part, it still is. But I think rock fans are becoming more accepting of... I'm learning so much now that I'm a DJ on Monsters Rock, and it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, because I was a bit stuck in the 80s, you know, and um, who has... Well, not a lot of people have so much time to devote to learning about all the new music coming out or music that I happen to miss over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years. Um, and this, so this, it started out when I started at Monsters of Rock, where it was mostly songs that I knew, you know, there was like, you know, the familiar ones. And I actually asked um, to be challenged, you know, I wanted to learn more. So I wanted, I didn't want to always be playing like the same things I love, like ACDC and Ben Halen and Motley Crue, you know, the, the standards. I wanted to learn what the newer songs were. And I got my son involved and they asked me, Mother's Rock asked me to give them a list, you know, of what um, I wanted. And my son, who's only 20, uh, so he, he was very helpful giving me the list of the up and coming bands and then I asked Monsters of Rock to in turn give me some more uh, homework about it um, and uh, so I do so much research now which brings me to another female, there's a song called Four and the band is called In This Moment and that's another great one, um, there's just so many um, and it's so much fun for me, it's truly like, I couldn't ask for a better job or hobby because um it's just so much fun doing all the research and even bands that I have known of forever, you know, I force myself to just look up the song and read the history behind it. I don't always talk about it on the show. You know, I just kind of talk about whatever flies out of my mouth and it's no rules radio. So like Monsters of Rock doesn't care if I talk about, you know, what I happen to be doing that day or how I feel about the weather or the music, you know, they, as long as, you know, I'm halfway entertaining, I think, but you know, there's, there's no rules about it, but if something touches me, you know, if I'm reading the history about a song and I have, like, for instance, I happen to have been to that location, like, you know, like when I went to the Giants Causeway near Belfast, Ireland, and um, I was playing a song, the rain song from Houses of the Holy, it triggered that memory of my travels. So then I brought my personal life, into the story, you know, but I don't always. Anyway, the, the uh, point of this is that it's just um, a really fun, a really fun journey and a great opportunity. I'm going to send you some bands to play. 
I, got I would some, love it. I'd love that. Thank you. I will do that. I will send you like a, like a handful every week. I won't like give you okay. this list of like 30 or 40, but I'll send you like a handful every week and you play them if you like them. If you don't like them, that's up to you. If, if you do, that'd be great because new bands and emerging artists need so much support right now. Um, you know, so I know they would be, they would definitely appreciate it if they could get on a platform like that. Yeah, I I would be happy to listen. And I like your idea of a handful, not like <laughs> send me a thousand a week. But yeah, because uh, then I can really listen and pay attention and uh, help out if I can. So I'd love to. Yeah, that'd be so great. I'm always excited to uh, learn too. Like I said, it's become like my my hobby. It's uh, just um, I don't know, like tapping into, you know, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be a music journalist. Um, uh, journalism was my major in college, and I was the entertainment editor of my high school newspaper. And so this little uh, venture of mine is now the closest that I have come um, to my original dream. It's kind of come full circle somehow. That's interesting, because my favorite class in high school was journalism. And, you know, I had, you know, aspirations of being a journalist and I never finished college. That's pretty much what you're doing (laughs) on this podcast. Um, So you are a a rock journalist. Yeah, I never really consider myself a journalist, though. I always just consider myself a guy that likes to talk about rock music, you know? But broadcast journalism is what you're doing. I guess. You know, I don't know. I never... I think there's no, well, there's no rules too much anymore because nothing makes sense anymore. Right. Um, I'm glad I didn't stick with a degree. I dropped out of college and ran off with Kiss. If anyone listened to your previous podcast with me, they know my story. But um, I got sidetracked over the years. But it all came full circle. But when, when I started out um, in college studying journalism, what I didn't like about it is that they trained you to take what you creatively did, whether you um, mostly wrote, but sometimes it would be a broadcast. And then you had to shorten it. You had to just tighten it down to this five facts, the five boring sentences, and take all of your creativity out of it. And they called that journalism. And that's when I said, "Uh, I don't know if my heart's in this. And I kind of, well, then life took a huge um, different turn. And now, now look at journalism. This is why I don't watch the news, because it's uh, basically a joke now. Um, anyway. How did the Monsters of Rock opportunity happen? I know you did some fill-in stuff maybe a couple no, years ago. <laughs> or like, weren't no, you on there like it's, once it's before? A funny story. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a funny story because I've actually been on there. I think my first time was probably 27 years ago. I mean, I've been on um, as a guest. I've been interviewed several times. Um, after Eric Carr died, so in um, the earlier part of the 90s, and then after I was a playmate in, I was Mystery 1997. So several times um, over those years, um, Harlan, um, CEO of Monsters of Rock, contacted me, and we did interviews. And then about four years ago, when I was modeling Van Halen merchandise, uh, Chips and Up and Harlan had me live in the studio to do a whole three-hour forum, a Van Halen forum in studio. So I think that was about four years ago. Three or four. Geez, I've lost track of time. It was probably four now. So 
I don't know. Anyway, uh, then during the uh, pandemic, when my book was released, Unrated Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold, um, I had I sent Harlan a copy. Um, Monsters of Rock has been very supportive of me, so I included them, you know, in my acknowledgement, and I sent him a copy. And he contacted me after he read it, and he said, "How about doing a one-hour special for us sometime?" And I said, "Sure, I'd love to." And I waited, and he said, "Do you have access to a recording studio?" You know, because we were locked down. And I said, "Well, sure, I can find one." And uh, then he just never got back to me. And um, uh, then he called again because um, they needed someone to fill in um, for the morning uh, show host, and she was out. And I said, "Yes, I'd love to." And then he never called again, and I was like, "Oh my God." You know, this is like my acting career. Like I keep booking movies that just never happen. You know, like I just audition for a thing and you just never hear anything again. And I was getting really frustrated. And then all of a sudden he just calls one day and gives me um, a Thursday. And then I did well. And he gave me another Thursday and another Thursday. And then I didn't really know what was going on until I actually saw on their social media, Terry Stevens, Thursdays. <laughs> and it was four to seven. And now it's four to eight. and so. Uh, so yeah, it's going very well. Um, I love doing it, and obviously they must be pretty happy with me uh, to keep me around. So um, it's a it's a it's a good fit. It's a really good fit. Plus, you got your sister in arms, Claudia. She's doing yes. it too, so which is really cool. Yeah, I think you know, I no one ever explained it to me, but I think Claudia was probably uh, the master force behind um, bringing me on board. Um, because I know that she's the one, she never did need a fill-in, but they thought she was going to. And um, so I think that she's the one that recommended me for that. And then somehow that recommendation just lit a spark and they just decided to give me my own show. So that's how it happened. So she is probably to thank for that. Although I never... Claudia and I became really close. Um, uh, we just became really good friends, and we really understand each other. Um, you know, we're both girls, girls. You know, we ha- we don't have any competitiveness or jealousy. And we've got each other's backs. We've got integrity. Uh, she rocks. You know, like she's, um, you know, and she's got a lot of empathy. She's just really a good person, and. She's a lot of fun. Everybody knows that. She's a comedian and she's got great taste in music. She's also, you know, she's just like really an empathetic person where I barely knew her. I mean, I did an interview about my book on a podcast that she was co-hosting and we stayed in touch and, you know, she bothered to check on me, you know, during times where, you know, I guess she just had some intuition, you know, it was especially during that difficult time of the pandemic and the lockdowns. And she would check in on me, you know, just check to see how I was doing and keep in touch with me. And, um, you know, and then I started likewise doing the same for her and it grew into a friendship. I mean, we have a lot in common. Um, she's writing a book. It's called, um, I think it's called 10 things to hate before you die. Yeah. She mentioned that when she was at my show. Yeah. She's about to release that. Since I self published my book, I've been giving her, um, a lot of advice about how to do it. And it's, it's, um, I'm so proud of her for actually doing it because, 
if anyone knows I do, how much work, how much work it is. I need to have her back on the show. It's been, gosh, two years since she's Oh, you done. should have us on together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Of course, you'll, you'll, you'll never get a word in edgewise. That's fine. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'll try to wiggle my way in there. But, yeah, that'd be a great experience. Um, you know, she was on back, I think, in November of 2019 when when I was just first starting out. By the way, folks, if I did forget to mention this in the beginning. This is the 300th episode. And that is like the reason yes, why I, I know that is the reason why <laughs> carries on because I was thinking of who I wanted on for the 300th episode. And I'm like, it's gotta be Carrie Stevens because every time, uh, every really? time, the first one, you thought of, the so first one, the first one I thought, of because for my two year anniversary, I had George Lynch and we did this epic interview about his activism and his documentary that he did a few years ago and you know he's always been great whenever he's on and we've you know he's done the show gosh you know like three times so he should probably be doing it again coming up soon and I was thinking who am I going to have I got to have someone who I really enjoy having on who my listeners really enjoy when 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 they're on and I'm like it's got to be Carrie Stevens it has to be you know cuz every time uh-huh. you're well, on I the yes podcast immediately you did even though I have, you did. I have not yeah but you're the only one that I would have said yes to because I have been uh, taking a podcast break for a while because uh, I just did so many after my piece. And I started, honestly, I started to get into a depression. And I think, well, a lot of people were depressed during, especially <laughs> as that, um, the never ending pandemic was winding down. But I really had to dig deep uh, to find out why I had more depressed than I'd ever been in my life. And I was actually reading my own book to try to remember who I am. Because I would say to my son, um, have I always been this depressed? Have I always been like this? And he's like, no. And I'm like, what happened to me? So I literally, my own book, trying to remember who I am. And um, I was trying to find myself at the end of my book. You know, I travel all over the world by myself. I went to the Dominican Republic. I went to Italy. I went to Ireland for um, those nine weeks. I traveled all over searching for my soul. And, and, and then I find myself in the pandemic going, uh, I have no idea who I am. Like I feel lost, depressed, hopeless. Who am I? And what I realized from reading the last chapter of my own book is that everything that made me happy to that point, I undid by releasing my book and talking so much about my past because in the book I find out that traveling to places where nobody knew anything about me no one knew that I was a playboy playmate no one knew that I was a mother nobody knew that I was you know someone famous his girlfriend you know who passed away like no, nobody no one knew anything about me so I was able to just shed 50 years worth of judgment, whether that's self-judgment or other people judging me or my, my perceptions, um, just being somewhere where often people didn't even speak the same language as me, never mind know anything about me. It really forced me to be in the moment and and just almost be reborn, where I was just Carrie Stevens, not Carrie Stevens, the actress, Carrie Stevens, Eric Carr's girlfriend. Like I wasn't, I was just me. And what I learned was to be in the moment and love myself. So everything 
that I learned about being in that moment and finding that happy place, um, I had kind of undid that by releasing my book and then spending a year only talking about my past. So um, I, I, I just, I wasn't living in the moment. Well, a lot of us felt like we had no moment anymore because of the lockdown. But in addition to that, you know, I, I really enjoyed the anonymity, the being just nobody knowing anything about me. And then what did I do? I put myself completely out there, which actually worked out better than I thought. I was going to say fed myself to the wolves, but I was met with a lot of um, love and support. Um, but, you know, also going back in time and talking constantly about my past really made me feel like I've already done it all and I don't have anything else to live for. I didn't have um, a future. So I had to kind of come to peace um, uh, spiritually um, with some things that were haunting me. And you can guess, Eric Carr was at the top of my list. Um, so talking about him as much as I did, because he is um, the major interest. Uh, everyone's interested in, in him when it comes to my story. And I don't blame them for that. And I'm honored uh, to be able to preserve his memory um, and share you know, that love, but at the same time, you know, living, uh, with a ghost and living in the past, you kind of, um, it's kind of like a, a very lonely, lonely, uh, hurtful place. And, um, one that is too difficult to even put into words with anyone, but I felt like, um, and I do still feel like I am in a relationship with Eric, but, I, I had to come to some terms um, with him that I am in a spiritual relationship with him. And he has his very special place in my life, and he always will, you know, but I need to live in the living. And um, I think that line got very confused. I hope this makes sense to you. But it got, it, it gets, got confusing to me, like in the ending of my life, you know, when I'm talking about the past so much, you're talking about my love for Eric and my relationship with him so much. It's almost like, you know, you feel like you're dating a dead person and, you know, there has to be a healthy boundary there of letting go and opening yourself up, you know, to the real world that's in front of you. And people don't want me to do that, really. They, they Most people just want to see me um you know, as if it were 30 years ago in 1990 and I'm Eric Carr's living memorial, um, you know, and that's just been, it's been a very uh, trying place, you know, to live. And I think I finally found some balance with it. And a huge portion of it was going public, you know, with my story. And now, you know, I, I am forever proud of myself because writing about it in my book keeps his memory alive. He's not here to write his own book himself. I shared it the best I could. Um, and, you know, so for that, you know, I'm extremely proud of it. But then after a year of only talking about the past, it was time to step, you know, to get my feet like back on the ground again, get my bearings about me and be my own person. And that is almost exactly when Monsters of Rock, uh, in the depth of my uh, depression and my self-discovery 
um, Monsters of Rock finally came along with this opportunity. And the first few shows I had, they put Kiss in it. And of course, I felt no one told me to, but you know, I felt obligated to talk about Eric and talk about my history with the band. And then, um, you know, I have a weekly conference call with Harlan, the CEO of Monsters Rock, every week. And, and he happened to gone that day. I was doing, like, three months ago now, I was doing the last podcast I did before this one. And, you know, I made a comment like, oh, this is going to be, you know, one of those days because. I have to do this podcast after this. And, you know, even though I said I want to talk about more than Eric Carr, I know that's what's going to happen. It's what always happens and it's always draining. And, you know, it's emotional for me. And, and he said, you know what, Carrie, how about this? He goes, how about for the next four weeks, we take Kiss off your playlist? And I said, thank you so much. I said, thank you because I really want to gain my own identity. I don't always want to be living as Eric Carr's ex-girlfriend. I want to be my own person. Is there anything wrong with that? He's been gone for 30 years. Not it's time all. for me yeah. to be me. Yeah, and I think he would be extremely proud of me for that. And um, I can feel his pride shining on me. I'm still very connected um, to him. And there's nothing wrong with me keeping my spiritual connection with him. I always will. And, you know, but it's also it's up to me, um, you know, to find a, a, a a balance, you know, and a happy place um, to, to, you know, live with that and boundaries with when I'm comfortable sharing it and talking about it and when I'm not. And now that we have that uh, brought up, the 30-year anniversary. Well, that was the, that's, that's what I was going to mention is you're talking about living in your past. You're talking about Eric. The first thing I wanted to say to you is, you know, whenever we talk, we have like these epic long conversations. After we're done, we talk for hours and 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 you and I have you know talked about a lot of things and you you know you, you did express this to me that you know everybody wants to talk about all these things but yet this was in your book and you kind of felt like you had to talk about them even though your book which was great which is now in hardcover by the way and I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit you you also had a lot more in that book too and I think when you well, what the, I'm sorry to interrupt you but I want to remind everybody that Eric has been gone right. since 1991 right. and we are in 2021. And so I was only 18 when I met him and I was only 22 when he died. And I have not gotten much criticism uh, on my book. I've looked at the reviews and but there was one idiot on there and on my Amazon reviews is like, uh, you know, this is terrible. I expected, you know, way more about Eric. And, you know, I was painful to have to read the rest of a book. And I'm like going, um, it's not a book about Eric Carr. It's not a book called Eric Carr. It's not, it's called Unrated Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold. Nowhere do I say this is a book about Eric Carr. That's your own imagination. Okay. So I have been around. I'm now 52 years old. He died when I was 22. You do the math. There's been a lot more that's gone on in my life. And right. Look, I, I wish I had more than four years with him. I don't have more than those four years to talk about. So I hope that idiot that made that stupid comment is listening. But, you know, I can't, you know, I, unless you want me to be a liar, 
I can't invent stories that didn't happen. They ended when he died when I was 22. The rest of it, and he is actually in every single chapter of my book, except one. He is mentioned in every single chapter of my book, but that's because he has such a powerful influence on me, and he's always walked with me, and and I've, I've never um, let go of him in my heart, and for that, he's influenced everything that I've done, but can I keep telling you new stories about him? No, because he died in 1991, and I wish I had more, but I don't, period. The... What I wanted to mention is, you know, first about the book. The book is, you know, like you said, there is a lot in there about Eric, but there's a lot more. And it's really about your journey and what what your life it's was. It's a survivor story. It is. It, it really totally is. is. It totally story. is. And, you know, when you talk about the depression you went to, about living in the past, and I think there is something to it. But I also think, you know, you've had a a a life full of adventure, right? And when you're reflecting on all that, right? When you're, well, when, you're when you're reflecting on all you, that, but thank you for saying adventure because there's a reason I wrote a book. It's because my stories are they're worthy of hearing, and I I right. would always be out with people, and people would be like, "Oh, tell so and so the story about this and that," because I have these great stories, and it's kind of like, "Okay, I should write a book." Uh, it wasn't like time to write a book about Eric. It was kind of like, you know. Wow, I have had quite, you know, an interesting life, and maybe I'll try writing about it, and it turned into a book. Right, and I and I think that, you know, when you talk about how it affected you, I think yes, living in the past and in in living all these memories over again, you then be, you kind of bury your soul, like you kind of bury yourself to people reading it, and I think when you do that, and when you've had. You know, so many things happen in your life and so many relationships, whether it's with Eric, whether it's with Hugh Hefner, whether it's with Howard Stern or you know, the friendship you have with, you know, with uh, David Lee Roth. John Elway is, is, is a big part of the book, too, as well. I think when you when you do that and you bury your soul, basically, it does cause a little bit of a anxiety, you know, in you that, you know, not that you're afraid to tell your stories and talk about your life. But I think it's more about, you know, you, you expressed emotion in that book that maybe you hadn't really felt in a long time. And, you know, I, I talk about a lot about it when I, when I interview people about writing songs and tapping into an emotion, whether it was a happy time or uncomfortable time, there is that vulnerability there. And I think when you go through that experience like you did with a whole book, there is that wave that comes later with, oh, my God, like I, I just cataloged my whole life or pretty much my whole life. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's been so many uh, waves of um, emotion after um, releasing it. But mostly, I have to say, uh, it was empowering because um, I had so much anxiety before it came out. Like I honestly thought I wouldn't be able to do my own social media. I expected to have so many haters. I would, I thought I would have to like hire my son or one of his friends to like scan it before I looked at it because I wouldn't be able to handle seeing all the mean haters. On I don't know why I was thinking that because honestly, like I think since, the book came out. I, 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 I think I got one mean email and it's like, 
I, I mean, literally one, I can't, I mean, I can't police the entire internet, but like, I, I'm, the point is, it was, I had nothing to worry about. And it was finding out that my fears were unfaced is empowering. You know, like I, I, for some reason, I, I was going to do it anyway, even though I was afraid. I don't even know what I was thinking, but I remember having those fears. And then I, they were unfounded because um, I've gained like an army of love and support instead of a bunch of haters. So I'm not sure why I um, thought I deserved that. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, it's been the opposite. And, and, and it's also been um, quite empowering because you stop giving a shit what anybody thinks anymore. You know, like I really don't care what anybody thinks of anything. And there's such freedom in that, in, in just being me. Um, you know what? And I'm not for everybody. No one has to like everything I do. Um, but me not caring, I feel better um, than always worrying what somebody else is going to think. So I like that feeling. I'm glad that I put it all out there. Um, if anything, you know, I, I, I tell, I, I don't know. I'm, it made me more comfortable with myself should, should I say that I guess like like when you face a fear and then you know you get more brave that's what it is sure now that you're you, you mentioned that you know Eric's passing the 30th anniversary of his passing is coming up in November and you know, we just talked about you know living in the past and reflecting all that how are you going to you know handle this how, how are you are you just going to take it as it comes or is there you know Something you know, that you need every, to do. I've been doing, doing, doing. Like I have been, I've been co-producing um, a documentary that we had hoped to release uh, about Eric Carr on November twenty fourth, the anniversary of his death. I'm, I've been working closely with his sister and um, another producer, Jack Sawyer. We were hoping to. It, we'll, we'll probably have a trailer out by November twenty fourth. Um, so, you know, I, I honor him, uh, in many different ways. Um, uh, that's a, you know, a public way in a way that I bond, you know, with those, like his sister and Jack was another close friend of his, their producer. And, you know, uh, obviously with, you know, the interviews in the book and all the talking I do about him, I feel like, you know, for the, for the past 30 years, I've been basically his living memorial and I've been carrying the torch. So I don't feel like I have to do anything um, in particular on that particular day. Um, anniversaries and birthdays are always difficult for me. And some, some years they're harder than others. And I can never really pinpoint exactly why. Um, but I've found some tools um, that I practice um, to protect myself um, because there are triggers. Uh, mainly in the form of, um, you know, outsiders. And so usually what I do is I will, the night before an anniversary of a passing or birthday, um, I go on social media and I'll put my posts up the night before. And then I make a pact with myself. I do not look at it the day of because I, it will be way too emotional. I will get like so caught up in it. Like it will just take me to such a deep, dark place because there's just 
too much of it at once that I just have to back off. And then slowly, you know, over, this is the same thing. He just got inducted to the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame and I gave the speech. I couldn't look at all the comments right away. I posted it. And then slowly, you know, over the next couple months, you know, I slowly go back and I will look at the comments and it takes me, you know, a long time. It takes me a long time. I just started opening my Facebook fan mail requests um, on my fan page. I haven't looked at them since that came out. And, you know, I'm getting so many amazing supportive messages by his fans thanking me, you know, for the speech and saying that Eric would have been so proud of me and the words that I chose were perfect and all that. And I love reading all of that stuff. And that's amazing. And by the way, I did not have one negative comment. They're all amazing. It's just that, you know, I have to pace myself so that I am also living in the present, not just completely in the past, or it gets me, like I said, into a very dark place that I can never go back to. I I can't bring him back to life, you know? So um, I I have to just have my, um, my tools and boundaries in place. And I feel like I'm in a really good place with it right now. So... I'm sure that I will ask to ask to do, if they're going to start like any minute now, I'm going to be asked to do a lot of podcasts and interviews. And um, most of them, I am going to say that I would rather wait until um, the documentary is about to come out because then everyone's going to want to do another interview with me about the documentary. So the only ones um, that I will do are ones I already have relationships with, like with yourself. And uh, like if Tom and Deuce ask me, I'll go on Chat It Out Loud cast, you know, people that I already um, know uh, and I'm comfortable with. Um, I think that's what my boundary is right now. And I apologize that I'm just not, you know, like available to every single um, person. But like I said, like people have to like respect um, my comfort level and my mental health is more important. Um, than anything else that it has to be not my number one priority is my mental health and I don't think I owe anybody an explanation for that I'm just doing it I'm just taking care of me certainly not I mean I I 100% agree with you I mean you gave a lot of yourself when you wrote the book and you gave a lot of yourself to many different outlets to talk about the book and oh and my pet peeve by the way is giving interviews to people who haven't read the book and um I only slipped up a couple times. Normally, I make sure people read the book before I say yes, but I slipped up a couple times. And when I do, you know what? They talk to me like I'm some kind of groupie. Uh, they completely misunderstand me. Then it's like really draining to do the interview because I have to correct them like on everything they say because they don't get me and because they didn't read it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I just can't do those. Well, I remember when I was we were talking about doing an interview like in early December and I was having some, some health issues. I ended up going to the hospital and then we talked after and I said, I haven't finished your book yet and I don't want to have you on until I finish it. You know, I and, remember. Yeah. And, and it, cause it's important cause he, you know, I wanted but to I'm speak so to glad. you. I'm so glad that you, you actually read it. And because of all the people and I hope I'm not offending anyone else, but I've told you this. You're like talking to a therapist. Like you're not like talking to, you know, a a, 
a guy that's trying to get attention on air. I actually enjoy my conversations with you and I get something out of them. Like I feel like I grow from them, you know, so I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you. Well, that makes me feel good, but thank you. know, thank you very much for those, you know, for saying that. I appreciate it. Um, as far as the, the documentary goes, when you look at what you talked about in your book and now you're doing, you, you, you produce this, you help produce this, this documentary there, a car, was there a different approach with the documentary than there was with what you wanted to write about? Oh, I am not that hands-on, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, in the documentary, I have very little um, uh, control or, or power. Uh, I'm more um, because I've, I think because I've helped with everything else for thirty years, um, and I, I just like an uh, an obvious thing um, to make me an official um, uh, part of it after. Um, you know, I am always a part of everything. I think Eric's sister um, brought me in mostly for love and respect of me and um, the help that I've given um, uh, is mostly some of it was, you know, helping set up interviews and um, and my own uh, personal interviews and, and advice on um, the direction Um uh, you know, helping find the right camera people, editors, you know, you know, like, um, you know, like I help connect the dots, um, but I don't look at the footage every day. Um, what I'm saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not, it's not a full-time job for me. It's just, um, kind of, uh, yeah, I guess I, that's why I explained it right. Like it's not, I don't think I emotionally could be, um, uh, I couldn't have a full-time job at it. Um, uh, my contributions are definitely um, not every day. They're as needed and, you know, from a comfortable uh, distance for me. Last question. And of course, you know, the spokesperson for it is where I, I come in um, uh, and do the most work because that's I'm going to be the one who people are going to turn to um, for the interviews. So, um, and yeah, that's, that's why another reason why I'm going to have to just mostly just say, wait for the documentary because, you know, one can get uh, burned out on the same thing, um, over and over. And when the documentary comes out, there'll be all kinds of new subject matter to talk about because we all, we are releasing, um, a lot of footage that's never been seen before. And I can't tell you what, but there are some things that I'm in and, um, you know, they're quite uh, emotional and never been seen. And, you know, there'll be, there'll be a lot to talk about. Let's put it that way. Got to pace myself. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is, is there anything in this documentary that, you know, people are going to be surprised about? And it sounds like there is going to be, which I'm sure KISS fans and Eric Carr fans are going to be interested in that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you've you've yeah. seen firsthand, you know, the dedication KISS fans have and Eric Carr fans have and you know, this'll be this'll be good for them to see this kind of stuff that they've never seen before. That's always exciting for a fan when that whenever that stuff exciting, especially, you know, when we celebrate his passing of thirty years. It's exciting and it's also, well, and, and it's also sad you know, the, doc- too. the documentary is gonna be a celebration of yeah. his life. 
what's going what the document the spin on the documentary is coming from explaining why he is still so important and why he continues uh, to grow and his fame 30 years after his death he, he's following just grows and grows and and why we we explain why and what a special person he was and um, the joy that he spreads and, and why it it is it never dies you know it keeps it keeps living on and so it's not you know he was born this year and died that year it's not one of those it's it's more um, we are really putting in a capsule just how special he was and it's going to be fun it's going to be uplifting and entertaining and it's not going to be anything like you've ever seen it's like this there is a documentary on him the same producer jack sawyers and um his sister loretta and i'm in it um that's tale of the fox and uh so they already did that and that you can go watch that documentary if you want to see where he was born and where he grew up in the entire you know the history of his life so not great in its own way but this one's going to be different because we don't want to do the same thing again you know and now it's a long time later so that one was 20 years ago well eric carr is my kiss drummer and i mean that is obviously peter chris was the original but when i got introduced to kiss it was with eric my first album i ever bought was lick it up and i still remember being in the grocery cart with my mother you know checking out and they have that magazine rack where You've got all different types of tabloid magazines and People and Us Weekly. And I don't know if it was a People or an Us Weekly. I don't remember that. But I remember the introduction of the Fox. And I remember staring at that because there are these four guys in makeup that I was like, what is the deal with this? I was probably five, six years old. And then later on, I took my paper out money and I bought Kiss Lick It Up. And so I always considered my introduction to Kiss and why I've always preferred Eric to Peter is because of that. I, you know, it was just, you know, based on my introduction to the band. You know, yeah, I don't yes. get involved in say favorite kiss drummer. Yeah, no, no, I'm just, I'm just telling you my personal Obviously, I'm going to yeah. say mine is Eric Carr, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but need a reason why. <laughs> moving on, though, we, we also had a, a, a bit of news about another subject in your book, and that was David Lee Roth. He announced his retirement about uh, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Uh, and said some interesting things, you know, what you can kind of decipher what he said. He doesn't come out and say it. And I don't know if David Lee Roth would ever just come out and say something. I don't think he would just come right out and say anything. It's not his style. Right. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's like a, you know, it's like a, a, a word it's just puzzle. Not the way yeah. He speaks. Yes. It's yeah. not the way he speaks. And, he, um, and yeah, he said some interesting things about, he, he thought he was going to be the first one to go out of the band. He thought the Marlboro Man was going to get him because we, we've well, known. Well, I, I read a lot into that sentence, and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, um, because he said. But you know, I, you know, I thought he was trying to tell us that he's sick, to be honest. Yeah. I it, really hope, I hope I'm wrong. But he said eventually the Marlboro Man gets you. Now, he could have been referring to Eddie Van Halen um, with that statement. He could have been referring to Eddie's cancer. Um, but I kind of took it as a hint that perhaps he's not uh, going to be able to perform and needs to uh, consider his own health. Um, otherwise, why would he be retiring? Because uh, he looks great. He looks fit. He's going to perform 
in Vegas. He's still hugely popular. Uh, uh, I, I just, I mean, you retire just because you want to be happy when you're single. And he's not like he's got kids or grandchildren. He's like, I, I, I'm sorry to be negative, but I'm speculating. It just, I'm concerned, actually. I love David Lee Roth, and I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But I, I took it as that as soon as I saw that sentence, like it put the fear in my heart. And uh, I just saw, my God, everybody just leave this guy alone because um, people were, you know, oh, yeah, no, everyone threatens that. He's just trying to get ticket sales. Like, he's just trying to say that to, like, oh, to the ticket sales club in Vegas. And I just thought that was really heartless. Um, I, I think it, I think those were crude. I refrained from um, uh, engaging in um, troll arguments, so I did not engage in any of those. It just made me sick when I saw people saying that stuff, and then that's when I just shut off the computer and walk away. I'm like, I just can't take these awful people today. I can't look at this, <laughs> you know, because it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's like I, I don't think anybody that didn't have a heart wouldn't be concerned when you read i mean i'm i'm probably too concerned you know i hope i'm not reading too much into it and spreading rumors that he's not well but let's face it none of us are getting any younger um he's 11 years older than me and i feel my health deteriorating i just found out today i've got like a bone disease by the way um it's what's it called osteostenesis you heard it here first um but after i broke my wrist on the counter uh they it's guess after you're 50 you have to have a bone density test so i just got my results back today and apparently i have pre-osteoporosis which is you know my uh bones are abnormally aging disintegrating i'm not surprised though honestly i have something called degenerative disc disease so i had my l4 replaced when i was only 40 and um, a few years later I had two herniated discs in my neck so you know what recently I read that David Lee Roth during the pandemic he had um, back surgery for a disc and I'm like oh finally (laughs) I already did that when I was 40 you know so I'm not trying to be like insensitive I'm just saying you know what it's not unrealistic you know when you get older our bodies break down and things happen and like um, you know, I just have to take some calcium and vitamin D every day and cut down on caffeine and alcohol, which I've already done. And, you know, um, exercise. Yes, I've got to start exercising more. Um, but if not, you know, I'll, have, I'll be hunched over and have osteoporosis by the time I'm uh, his age and I wouldn't be able to perform. So there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I hope, you know, you're, you're able to help your, your bone your pre osteo I don't even, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> I think it's osteopenosis. I don't know. I just got the results today. I'm just looking it up. Going, oh, great. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I don't, uh, it just basically means I, I should, you know, I think bones will break or fracture uh, more easily than somebody younger with uh, bones that aren't uh, deteriorating. I mean, you kind of peak your, your mass uh, bone, uh, um, what do you call it, density at 35 years old. And and then it goes down. But apparently mine is uh, lower than it should be for my age, which is why 
I fell off the counter and broke a bone so easily. So it shouldn't have broken just from falling off the counter. Um, but that's why they did the test. So that's why, um, yeah, that's why I found that out. And, it's, you know, I'm not crying over it. It is, it is what it is. Like I said, you know what? It's not that surprising because I found out when I was 40 that I had degenerative disc disease and, and no one else in my family does. And I'm prone to the injuries. And I just, after I found that out, you know what? I couldn't do boot camp anymore. Like I don't, my friends would invite me to do crazy wall climbing workouts and stuff. I'm like, I can't like from now on, I can just do yoga and I can go spinning. I can hike. Like I can't do heavy weights. I can't do, I can't do anything risky. Every time um, I did actually, I would end up injured again. And then at least when I got my diagnosis, it made sense, you know? So it's just, it's just good to know. It's good to know about your own health and know your limits. That's all. Well, I hope that you know you can manage it, and you know it. Um, I'm not in any pain, or yeah. you know, and I'm saying like, uh, so don't. I don't want you to feel bad for me. I wouldn't even know if they didn't do the bone scan. Like, I it's a bone density test. I wouldn't know. I mean, it's not like I walk around in pain. I'm okay, but it's better to know so that I don't wind up walking around in pain later. I just have to start doing you know, things to prevent it. Getting back to the Daily Roth uh, comment, there was two things. Right, enough about me. Let's talk about David <laughs> There were He's two things. <laughs> I was just trying to relate, you know, I was yeah. trying to say everybody's human. Everyone no, is I human, know, I know. Basically. Um, but moving back to, to, to what he said, there were two things in his statement that let, leads me to believe that there's something more, something going on. And it was the one where he talks about Eddie passing, and he says objects are closer in the in the mirror than they appear, and th- and that object is him, basically. Right. And yes. then and then he also stated that you know his doctors tell him that every time he goes on stage, he's putting himself at risk. So you know, is it his heart? It is something we don't know. Um, but there's obviously I something. There's okay. I I tell you way too much, Jay. I thought there was something. For a long time. And I know him personally many years. And, you know, he really is a nice guy, by the way. Like, he really is a nice guy. Um, But he's a a very uh, um, private, um, guarded uh, sort of person. Um, And um, I think that that naturally, when you're you're that way to begin with, then you're certainly not going to share it if something very personal in nature comes up. So it just makes sense that he wouldn't. Well, there's always been, he's always had a bit of mystery about him and he's been, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't, you know, spend a lot of time in the public eye. I mean, obviously back in the eighties, I think he did more, but once his solo career after kind of skyscraper and maybe, you know, a little, after enough, that, I spent tons of times out in nightclubs and strip joints and restaurants, like partying with him, like tons of times, like in the, late 80s and early 90s up until I think 97 when I was I think 96 was probably like the last time I was hanging out with him in clubs so uh, right before I became a playmate and then I didn't see him for many years until um, was it 2018 or was it 19 if it's a bad memory 18 when I ran into him at um, a charity event and he spotted me in the audience and 
uh, remembered me and invited me backstage to chat with him. Um, and he seemed very healthy. He was drinking whiskey. Uh, he was, he seemed, um, calmer than I've ever seen him. I was talking his ear off. Um, but you know, and he did not seem, he didn't seem sick, but he seemed, um, uh, kind of deeper than I had remembered him. I don't know if it's just age or he wasn't on coke this time. I, mean, I don't know what it was, but he, he, he seemed, um, you know, like, like a deeper, uh, person, which, you know, again, we're completely analyzing David Lee Roth out of our asses. We don't know anything. Um, I don't know anything besides, um, uh, yeah, well, everybody. Well, I, I, you know, I, I think the focus should be on on just the statement, right? And and I think that you well, know, that, the rearview yeah. mirror thing yeah. is is telling. If you know David Lee Roth, you know his interviews, the way that he talks, that is, it's it's a metaphor um, for uh, death is closer um, than it seems. Like what what you seem far away is actually um, next in the next minute. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm exaggerating, but that's what he means. It's like objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. If, I hope everyone listening drives a car. And you, you, you know that, you know, when you look in your rear view mirror, yet they, the car can be closer than it seems. It seems like it's far away. And that, is a metaphor for, um, yes, time. It well, I think it's like that. It's I, I, yeah, I think it's that. And him saying that, you know, his doctors say that he puts himself at risk every time he gets on stage. Well, you know, you know? we don't know if he has uh, well, but, what he has. Right, right. We don't know. Condition. We don't know what he has. I mean, is it a heart condition? Is it, you know, whatever it is, you know, we don't know. But there's obviously something that, is prohibiting him from moving on after the Vegas shows and doing more stuff. And, well, and people and people really expect David Lee Roth to be jumping all over the place like right, he did in 1984, right. you know? And, uh, he's, well, as I said, you know, like I, I, I don't talk about myself all the time. That's the only way I can compare it is if I try to imagine like me being able to do what I used to do when I was 28, you know, like, I just can't. So um, he's in fantastic shape. He looks amazing. Um, you know, he's so fit. Uh, so that's why I said I wonder if it's um, more. It's more than meets the eye because on the outside, like it, you know, his body is incredibly fit. You can tell he keeps his body in shape. Um, it's 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 more than a herniated disc. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I, I think it's something more, and at some point we are going to know, we are going to find out, and and um, you know, I, I do expect though once well, these Vegas I shows, him and I made I made my uh, I don't know what else I more I can do. I profess my undying love to Dave all the time publicly. It must get back to him, but um, after uh, you know when I saw him in 2018, I told him I was writing a book, and he said, "Am I in it?" And I said. Oh yeah, you're the first sentence. And I told him I would send him a copy when it was uh, done. And uh, his manager gave me her 
card. And so I did what I said. And it was um, in 20, I sent it to him uh, right. It was literally four days before Eddie Van Halen passed. He must have got, um, his management office must have got the book. So honestly, I'm not sure he ever really got it. I, cause I'm sure that they were bombarded at that point, but I did send it, um, along with a signed copy of my Playboy magazine. And I actually sent his manager a copy of my book as well. And the thank you for all of your inspiration card. Um, and then literally it was like, I mailed it. And a few days later I heard about Eddie passing and I went, Oh, what terrible timing that was like, you know, of course I'm not going to be like, I never followed up. I mean, what am I going to do? Go, Hey, did you read the book? I mean, like I would be so insensitive. So I have never, um, yeah, you know, I've never contacted him since, but now that we're having this conversation, maybe I should, maybe I should maybe he'll never get it maybe he will but maybe i should just send a card saying you know just wanted to know you to know that i feel for you and i'm hoping everything's fine and that's that either he gets it or he doesn't you know all you can do is put yourself and your love out there and you know if something happened to him um i would sure be glad that at least i tried you know yeah you know it kind of you know what i was going at and, and, and saying is, you know, if, if it wasn't something, if it, if it wasn't serious, I, I don't see him stopping performing because he loves to perform. I mean, that's what he has. That, that's who that's he, what is. he was born to do. He was born yes, to do. He's born, born, born to perform. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for him to, you know, retire, I think that, that, that leads me to believe that there's probably something more. And, I do expect him to kind of, I don't want to say be a recluse, but, you know, I, I do think once this Vegas, these Vegas shows are over, maybe he'll do one or two interviews. I don't know, but I don't expect him to be, you know, clamoring for the limelight. I mean, if he puts that statement out, he's basically putting, you know, getting ready to write the final chapter. And, uh, you know, it's just it's sad to think what the possibilities are, although you don't want to speculate, but he doesn't, Dave doesn't put that, that, that comment out, that statement out, unless there is something really going on because he's never, although he was, you know, someone that. I don't think I'm going to talk to all the trolls. Let me, let me, let me, I, I, yeah. you, okay. You, you finish. And then let I'll me, talk let me finish. I, even though Dave was larger than life when he was performing, he's still larger than life. And exactly, you know, which it, is what I was going to say. Yeah, there's still, to trolls. It, Dave does not need to go threatening to right. retire. That's to what sell I'm saying. Concert tickets to six. Was he playing six shows? Yeah. How many days does he? I think it's like six days or something in Vegas. Do you, Do you think at this point in his career he really fake retirement to sell tickets? No, no, he doesn't. No, that's not his style. He'd sell out anyway. That's not his he'd style. Sell out anyway. No, he's he's not a bullshitter. It's not his style. So he's not. I mean, that's just a bunch of like little people behind their computers thinking they, you know, have something to say. And and you know yeah. what? It, it's just not only is it insensitive, but it's just dead wrong. Nobody it, like if you're going to threaten to retire, 
a, go to a stadium, go be the go be Kiss and do the End of the Road tour, okay? Stay on his road for years all over the world. Um, even before David Lee Roth got booted off of that, he never said that was his retirement tour, you know? Okay, so if anyone wants to talk shit, I'm sorry about Kiss fans, you're going to hate me for saying it, but why aren't you bashing on uh, supposedly the end of the road, which is never going to be the end of anything? <laughs> like, those guys might deserve it, but David Lee Roth and his little six gigs at the casino in Vegas, shut up. You know? Yeah, that, that's just never been Dave's style. I've always, as much as he is the ultimate rock star and the ultimate showman, I also think Dave is aware of, even though he may have, you know, maybe stuck around a little bit, a, a, an inch, you know, too long, I think he deserves to make that decision. But I think that, you know, if, if he... If he was just going to stop performing and and not he would he would not say anything, but I think that you know with Eddie's anniversary of uh, you know the passing you know, the anniversary of Eddie passing and the statement kind of being close to that, I think he's trying to tell Van Halen fans and fans of Daily Roth that you know Van Halen you know obviously Eddie passing, but you know the two faces of that band were Eddie and Dave. I, I, you know- Dave is an evasive character. I have to say, even recalling the times I would hang out with him one-on-one, um, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, and uh, be on his arm, like uh, having, like, not, I don't mean in the bedroom. I mean, like, we would hang out, like, in clubs and, you know, like, but I'd be, like, you know, intimate conversations all night long with him as if I were, you know, like your date, like, you know, but he was, he was always, um, a little bit evasive about things. Like even when we were bonding on subjects, like that's just his way. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like his, his, he's never been like a very direct person. Even when he's agreeing with you, he'll answer you in kind of an off kind of way that makes you kind of think in circles to get back to where he is. You know what I'm saying? I think he's so smart, actually. I think he has such a brilliant mind that it he almost speaks a different language um, than other people, you know? And I've always appreciated that about him. Um, not everybody gets it, but I, I do. But I think that's like, it's just, you know, it's not to be said it's good or bad or right or wrong. It's just the way he is. He's not a person that is very direct or that connects um, deeply about things, even when he is connecting with you, because I know because we used to connect, like he kind of goes around it while he's connecting with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean he's a wordsmith, right? He he has a different right, exactly. way of he has a different way of yes. communicating, and yes. you know even when I used to watch his podcast, the Daily Roth Show, which I am oh, so disappointed. You're, you're, oh no, you're going to crack me up because I watched that too, and you know when I was backstage. Uh, the time in 2018 when, you know, he summoned me backstage, I mentioned that to him because I had just watched an episode like about safety or something that he did. And I mentioned to him and he's like, you watch that? And I said, yeah, I always watch that show. And he said, well, you're the only one. No, 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 no. I mean, but see, see what I'm saying? He has humility about him. Like, like people always talk about how arrogant he is and a big, big ego. And I knew him personally. And I said, I never saw a shred of that 
even in 2018, when I told him I watched the show, he goes, well, well you're the only one. I, I so thought it was brilliant. It too, okay? I, I, I thought it was brilliant. You know, I mean, you got a peek into his genius, which was so like it, it, the, the episodes were just you couldn't take your eyes off of it, you know, um, because he would talk well, I about. Hope, I hope if he's going to retire from the stage, I hope he'll continue doing that. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's what we get from him, I I would love it. And I think, I, you know, his 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 personality obviously is not for everyone. But if you can get past that showmanship type of, you know, Daily Roth and just listen to his words and listen to the stories, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And I, have, and I know I'm a girl and he likes me, but I was not, you know, I wasn't uh, on the same level as somebody in management or, you know, and I'm saying like I didn't know him that way. But I have to say, I never saw him be mean to anyone. I never saw him have an attitude with anyone. I was around him a lot. I mean, he was nice to everybody that walked up and approached us everywhere we were. So he, um, I never saw him be an asshole. He was never an asshole to not one person. Anytime they would come up and fawn over him, he'd be like, and this is Carrie. You know, like he was just like a nice, nice to everyone and introduced me. He never had uh, an ego or an attitude. And, you know, just, I didn't. I just didn't see that. And you know me, Jay. I have a big mouth. I'll say anything about anybody. And I, if I saw it, I would say it. I didn't see it. And I'm also going to be fair and say I didn't see him in the '80s. I wasn't on tour with him. I wasn't his manager. I wasn't in his band. You know, who knows? It's just a whole different experience. I was just, you know, a girl that he had a crush on. But you know, like I, I, I was definitely around him enough that I would, I'm very perceptive and I always have been intuitive uh, about people. The guy is not an asshole at all. Not even a little bit. And I've seen him wasted. I've seen him sober <laughs> in all different conditions and I never saw an asshole. So, well, I always thought I, I always thought his stage persona was just that. It was a stage persona. Right? It was, it was the you know, his persona was like the Eddie Van Halen on guitar. It was, you know, this wild, no, it, crazy it playing. He, yeah. he was never trying to, he was never, as you could imagine, I should tell that. Can I say the F word on your show? Absolutely. He was never trying to, yes, he was never trying to fuck me either, by the way. Like all these times that I'm telling you that I hung out with him, all of these countless, countless, countless nights, he was never trying to take me home. Okay, once, but, you know, <laughs> one time I went, but, but like he, uh, but you know that was not his mission. Like he truly just seemed to just adore me and just like bask in being around me, like a almost shy boy. Like he just like adored me, and he was not like he never tried to fuck me in a bathroom stall or anything you'd expect out of David Lee Roth. You know, from the eighty, he never ever did that. Like he just treated me like I was this sweet pretty young thing that he adored and he uh eventually i tell it in my book eventually one night i know i went home with him but read the book to find out about that but you know like that he he's i've known enough slime bags in my life you know that um are trying to be what steel panther sings about those kind of uh 80s guys and it's a it's a fun joke 
and maybe he was like that back then, but that was not my experience um, with him. So all I can talk about is my experience, and that was my experience. That's all you can really talk about. I mean, I know there's people that have speculated a lot about things with Ailey Roth, and and some of the things that they speculate are things that they shouldn't. Um, You know, I I just feel that... I remember, like, yesterday, the first time uh, I actually connected with him, and I was standing at this club, Black and Blue, and I was talking to his manager, and he leaned in to his manager's ear and asked him to introduce me to him like politely and I was like blushing and I knew what I was doing by the way like I knew I was just like planting myself there waiting for him to <laughs> notice me but he did and then he politely leaned in and asked and the manager there at Barty Guard wherever he was to, to make the introduction Ah, oh, you're bringing back great memories Jay thank you I, hey, you know every time you come on here is a trip down memory lane for you yeah it is and some uh are yeah i have a you know and i'm ready this is good i'm glad we're talking today because i'm i needed i needed a little carry time and now i'm in a really good place well you know you've called me the oprah of podcasters (laughs) i mean it you are the oprah of podcasts <laughs> you know, when I got into podcasting, I'm like, you know what, God damn it, I am going to be called the Oprah of podcasters one day. And then Carrie Stevens comes on my show the second time, or maybe that was the first time. She goes, You're like the Oprah of podcasters. I'm like, Bingo, I reached my goal. Well, can you always get me to go deep? You know, you get me to talk about very uh, heavy stuff that I don't usually talk about. But I love that. And that's what makes, that's what makes it entertaining for me i don't you know the fluff stuff the uh, where were you born did you i don't know uh, just go read my book all right <laughs> that's why i wrote it you know so people will nothing drives me more insane than when i have to answer like when i do interviews and it's like my friends will ask how did it go afterwards all excited about it and they want to listen to it and i'm like don't bother you already read my book so you know everything I said. That's all I talked about. They just ask me the same things that are in my book. And it's more interesting for me if we can touch on what's in the book. Well, then let's go deeper than I went in my book. Because I already did that. And then like, if the audience is listening and they already read the book, maybe they want to know more about me. So we're giving it to them. And if they don't know about me yet, well, you know what? Now my book's not boring because I'm not repeating everything that's already there. <laughs> You know, well, that's why you're one of my favorite guests is because when you do come on, you know, you do allow these, you know, allow me to question you like this and have these conversations with you. And that's fun. Like, even though, like, sometimes it it may, you know, you know, spawn some emotion, it it still is something that I like to have those conversations with you because I know you'll give me the real answers. And, you know, I've always, you know, there are a few interviews I've done where I know I'm getting the answer that he gave to another question, but it's the same answer of someone that I'm interviewing. So I always appreciate the honesty and the rawness. And I think that's what makes you, you. And I think that's what makes people gravitate towards you and want to hear what you have to say. Because, you know, even though it, it may seem, you know, this conversation sometimes goes off in different avenues and different tangents, it, it, it's real and it's how people it's always talk. real and it's always honest. And 
I think that that's, um, you're right. That is my appeal. Um, you know, it's always more interesting to hear the truth. Um, and to predict what someone's going to say, it, it's just that. It's predictable and it's boring. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm proud to be original and I actually wouldn't know how to do, I wouldn't know how to do anything, um, but besides be me. So I hope, you know, if love me or leave me, it's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, I mean, you got the monsters of rock thing going on. Obviously you got the documentary we talked about. Is there anything else in Carrie's world, rock and roll wise or otherwise, you know, other things that, you know, you're doing your, developing, no. creating. <laughs> I'm like, no, no more. I've got enough to do. Uh, and actually, um, no, uh, no, they, we, um, I, I hope to, I really hope to, I mean, I've got, um, you know, this fucking pandemic, it's like, it's still messing everything up in the industry. So my, I'm still an actress, but, uh, auditions, um, I have them, Seldomly, and um, the projects that I booked during this time have still not happened. I'm getting so bored with it that I'm deciding I might never want to do it because the projects that are going on, uh, I have friends that you know that work at, on them. I, it sounds so fucking miserable to even be on a movie set right now. Like you can't even sit with other people at lunch. Like you can't socialize. You have to, you know. A, be COVID tested daily, even if you're vaccinated. And like, the, you know, really the fun of working is meeting people and hanging out and bonding. Um, a movie set becomes like a family. So that is like, I'm not sure when or if that is uh, coming back. Honestly, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, Jay. Like my passion for that industry is I'm not sure I'm going to get it back. I I just don't know. Like every time I get an audition, I'm like, ugh, we're too far between. And I'm like, this is not fun. Like this is, I have to do it in my house. It's, I have a solid white background, slate your name and, and then do your, you know, you never know if anyone even saw it. Like you never get any feedback. You know, you don't get a casting director or your agent saying, oh, that was good, that was bad. You just don't hear anything. At least on social media, you get a like or something. You know, imagine you just do all this work and then it's nothing. Uh, you know, so it's waiting for the grass to grow. And lately, it's, it's just not growing. And it's just, you know, when I was doing it before, I actually got to go to an audition. And I made some of my very best friends, by the way, in waiting rooms at auditions. You know, and you go in and you can feel the energy of the people in the room and then you can get immediate feedback and you know if you sucked or you didn't. They give you another chance to do it again once in a while. You know, like there's just no satisfaction in standing in your house doing it for yourself. It's just not, it's not making me happy. Let's put it that way. So I'm facing um, big changes. Uh, I never imagined... Um, myself um, being on air on Monsters of Rock, but I do have a few visions, which I've had for many years um, before Monsters of Rock for TV shows about rock. And I'm hoping that now that I'm um, 
between being an author and writing a book called Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold and my status as a DJ, I'm hoping to repitch some of those ideas and maybe, you know, now that I've grown my status, maybe I'll be able to make them happen. That's the only thing left in the entertainment industry I think I would want to do. Um, other than that, like, I don't really give a shit. Can I just put that up? <laughs> like, I just don't. I just want to be happy. And, oh, Dr. David Lee Roth, that's one of my other um, theories about David Lee Roth is maybe he just wants to be happy. And it's as simple as that. We don't know. We don't know what makes David Lee Roth happy. Maybe he's just happy to stay home, smoke pot, and draw. And he doesn't want the pressure of being on stage. Maybe, you know what, maybe he's just at a point in his life where he's changed, he's not into it, and it doesn't sound appealing. Kind of like I just said, you know what, I used to love acting, and now the industry's changed so much, and the whole thing just doesn't sound like fun, it's apparently acting, getting no satisfaction. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, who knows what's going on in his head, to be fair. Well, I think of that interview... Robert Plant did on House of Strombo, and it was like two, three years ago. And, oh, man, I didn't hear that one. Yeah, he talked about having that moment. I don't, I don't know if you remember when he did that tour with Jimmy Page, Page Plant. It was like mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And after the second album, they did another worldwide tour, and he was sitting, or he was performing, and it was this huge crowd, and I think it was South America, I want to say he was. And he just... Like, while he was performing, he was like, I don't need this anymore. You know, like, I don't need 100,000 people staring back at me. I don't need, you know, all that. So what did he do? He basically stripped everything down, and he has been touring with his friends, his musician friends, with different styles of, you know, on his albums and different styles of music. He's really into, you know, bluegrass, and he's really into rockabilly. And he's happy. He's content. He doesn't – he never – you know, strives to be more than what he is right now. He's, you know, we talked, you you talked about it, like being happy with yourself and being comfortable who you are. I think like Robert Plant, I think David Lee Roth has, has maybe reached that point where he's accomplished so many things. There's not much left that he can accomplish. He's traveled all over the world. He's had all these, you know, jungle adventures and doing different things with his career, whether it's an EMT, whether it's, you know, learning how to be a samurai swordsman. You know, he's probably just wants to do some things. And yeah, let's you, reflect on that. Yeah. When when nine eleven happened, did he make a big announcement that he was going to go be an EMT? Not, no, he just did it. Right, right. So that plays he into the point. That plays into it. the point yes. that when he, he makes a statement, a right, he's not doing anything for anything else. But when he makes a statement like that, there's something going on. He's not trying to sell yes. tickets. There's something going on. And he never, by the way, he never got enough credit for that. What kind of a, a person is so selfless that they abandon their rock star image to help to try to be anonymous and to help other people in the time of need in uh, a city that was broken and and anonymously, like for no attention, and, and you know until he was recognized and it came out in the press. You know, he's a good guy. That's a guy with a good heart, with good intentions. He doesn't always need accolades. He's not that egotistical guy that people say. He's misunderstood. Also, too, you know, when you think about it is, you know, I remember when he, when the news broke that he was an EMT in New York 
And everybody was like, oh, man, falling on hard times with, you know, after Van Halen. Oh, people are fucking assholes, man. I mean, I mean the, the, that guy. The difference between what I said, and, and, and if anybody is knowledgeable, and they're not just the troll, the guy comes from money. Like, he came from money in the first place. His father was well-to-do, Pasadena, high-end, ophthalmologist. They, 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 he, he put all the money into Van Halen, you know? So, uh, he, the guy, uh, and, and he made tons of money on Van Halen. He's not poor. That's not why he went to go to be an EMT. He will never be poor. You know, he didn't do it because he needed to make, what do they make, $20 an hour? I don't know what they make, but not, not enough. You know, they don't make enough. Uh, it, it was basically charity work for David Lee Roth. And anybody that says, well, times are tough, you know what they are? They're the same assholes that say, and we shouldn't give them attention. Uh, the ones that say, oh, he's saying he's retiring just because uh, it, it, he's trying to sell tickets. You know what I would do, to be honest? If it was indeed my last six shows, I would tell everybody, yes, this is the last chance to see me. And I would find the most cool way like he did not to alarm people but to alert people and just let people know that yeah this is the last time because that's kind of the that's the right thing to do for his fans to just let them know and because a lot of them would do care and they want to be there and that is a respect for them that's the way i see it so. Yeah, I mean, if someone's trying to sell tickets, they're going to go on Good Morning America. They're going to go on, you know, whatever talk show. Or, no, that was highly respectful. Yeah. Just to let everyone else know. He released he released that statement to and, a you know, local. And, and, yeah, he released that statement to a local radio station. First, yeah, a local. I think it was what Texas. Because he's not stupid, and he knew everybody would pick it up. Right. Right. But but the point is, is that if he was trying to sell tickets. You know, for Vegas, he would have gone on a higher profile interview, 2020, you know, 60 minutes. I don't minutes. think he was having a problem selling tickets. And I, don't I don't think, think so either. Would. I'm just saying, though, no, if he it was. was like yeah, as soon as they went on sale, that happened. And yeah. I think it was just, I think it coincided. And I think if I'm just, again, putting myself, because that's how I always try to figure other people out. I imagine the shoe on the other foot. And if it were me, and I, I, that that is what I would do. Like I would want to let, let people know if you want to see me, this is the time. Um, but you know, I definitely wouldn't want to make an announcement or make people feel sorry for me. Like, oh, come see me before I die. Uh, come see me because I I this I this stuff. But I signed the contract and I can't get out of it. But I hate this business now. You know, either way, it's not a good answer. So you know what? I think he just did it as smooth and cool. For any situation that may be going on, he handled it well. And I maintain my love for David Lee Roth. I'm always his biggest fan. Well, Carrie, it's been a blast as always. We could talk forever. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. Appreciate you coming on for the 300th episode. And again, it is my honor. And thank you so much for asking me. Well, everybody. I've got, you know what? We've, we've both grown so much. And like since the first time we met and I'm just so glad I know you and thank you for being my friend. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for being mine. You know, I mean, <laughs> out of all the people that I've met doing this, I always think of you as one of the most genuine people that I know. And I know a lot of people may think that you're, you know, wild and crazy, but 
I don't. I, 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 <laughs> I, I am. And you are. And you are. But but it, to <laughs> but the core, okay. to the core, you it's are. Okay. You are a great. It's okay to be, you are a great I'm soul. Mo- you are multi, a, multi, multi-dimensional. You are a great soul. Most important. You can you can be a great soul and be wild and free. Absolutely. All right, everybody. That's Carrie Stevens. I'm Jay Scott. And, and, and that is David Lee Roth. I think he is wild and crazy, but he's also a great soul. Is, I don't know him as much as you do, obviously, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, take my word for it. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. That's Carrie Stevens. Thanks for tuning in again. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Take care of each other. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.